0: means to either conform, comply, or act in accordance with, to literally imitate or to copy. So then why do we think when Jesus said, follow me, he meant raise a hand, sign a card, or show up at church once a week? When Jesus said, follow me, he wanted people who imitated him, who conformed to him, who looked like him. He wanted us to drop everything radically change our lives and yield to the unknown. He wanted us to follow, to go where he goes, to do what he does because he's bringing his kingdom and the only thing he asks is, will we follow? How's everybody doing? Good. Excellent. Are we enjoying mid-January? Yeah. We're, uh, we're really praying hard. We've got a grader outside parked in the parking lot and we have yet to grade anything uh, and that would be because of the snow and the January weather that we're having in November and so we're praying that we actually do get a window of weather that we're going to be able to actually put the base coat of the parking lot down, but I really do believe we need prayer (laughs) for this to actually happen. Um, As you can see, the parking lot's very icy, and so paving it will solve that. We'll be able to salt it and so on, Uh, but you all made it in here. This morning. And so I'm really thrilled that you have joined us this morning. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. uh, And I get to share with you this morning out of a book that I really deeply enjoy. And so everybody, if you could open your Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible, you could look it up on your phone. If you didn't bring a phone, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to be fine. Uh, The book of Acts, the book of Acts, starting at chapter 1. Just as you're opening to that, today is going to be our final teaching in our Following Jesus series. We're going to deal with, I think, the most critical piece. We're going to land this plane with the most difficult piece that many of us will actually struggle to stomach today. Over the past six weeks, we've been looking at what Scripture says the call, what the call is to follow Jesus. What does it actually mean for our lives, for each of us? What does the Bible say Christians are called to? What does the Christian life look like? What does the kingdom life that we've been talking about look like? And so we've been building a biblical definition of the Christian life, and so here's what we have so far. A Christian is one who follows Jesus by devoting his or her life to the kingdom vision of God, to a life of loving God and loving others, and to a society shaped by justice, especially for those who have been marginalized, to peace, and to a life devoted to growing in wisdom. And so today, we are going to complete this definition of the Christian life with what I think is the most essential, important piece of the puzzle. But first, I want to back up a little bit, and I want to remind you a little bit about the kingdom vision that we've been talking about and the way that the New Testament actually describes this kingdom vision because we have to understand what he means by this kingdom vision in order to put the New Testament teachings into perspective. So in Mark's gospel, right after Jesus is baptized by John, Jesus makes an important announcement. He says this, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent, and believe the good news. So according to Jesus, the kingdom of God is part of the good news. So much so that in Jesus' example of how we should pray, he says this in Matthew 6:10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the kingdom that Jesus teaches, he calls for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see this important, already not yet kingdom preached all throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talks about it. In Romans 14, verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14, Paul says, For he has rescued us. From what? From the dominion of darkness and brought us into what? the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Each of these passages, folks, announces a current kingdom that came into reality because of Jesus raising from the dead, his resurrection. In the apostolic gospel, the gospel that the apostles taught, It's important to understand that they're just not, they're not just announcing what Jesus did through his death. They're announcing what the results were because of his resurrection. I'm going to say that again. In the apostolic gospel, they are not preaching what Jesus' death accomplished, they're actually announcing what his resurrection accomplished. This is their gospel. Jesus lives. The king is alive. Our Messiah, our king is alive, reigning today, right now. You see, it wouldn't be good news if they said, Jesus is alive, but he's left us on our own. (laughs) We're just here to figure it out, to gather together as the church And figure this thing out. And then hope someday that he'll come back and show us what it was really all about. That's not the gospel that the apostles preached. Unfortunately, it's often the gospel that we live. The apostles preached the kingdom. Both the present and the future kingdom. The already not yet aspects of the kingdom. And this is important to understand Because if you only believe in a future kingdom, your ecclesiology, which is a fancy word for the study of the church, is going to be all messed up. You won't actually understand what the church is called to be here on earth. Now, let me explain that. In the New Testament, we have four separate gospel accounts. Now, they are Four different accounts coming from four different people, but they are the gospel. I hate it when we call them the gospels. They are the gospel. They are four different accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They each have sort of different angles that they're telling the story from, but they are all telling the same story, the gospel, announcing the good news. Now, in the New Testament, we have these four books, but then we have this fifth book. It's a spin-off of the Gospel of Luke. We move from Luke into the book of Acts. And Acts is a historical narrative of the early church. The book of Acts. Some call it the Acts of the Apostles. I would argue that it would be more accurate to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Acts is the narrative that brings us the stories of the formation of the early church. Acts gives us a glimpse into seeing the kingdom in action. The kingdom that Jesus established through his resurrection and will be establishing in the future resurrection. But there's there's more to the story than just simply Jesus died and Jesus rose. He also appeared. He appeared and he gave instructions to his disciples. The book of Acts chapter 1. I'm going to go get my water. The book of Acts chapter 1 starting at verse 1 says this. In my former book, Theophilus, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, that's the former book that he's talking about. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. See, he didn't leave us alone. He gave instructions of what was to happen next. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. You notice the stress there. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. But I I thought that that kingdom didn't exist until the future. Sometime we're still waiting for all of that. Apparently not according to scripture. But, whatever, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, I want you to listen very carefully to this, folks. They gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? This was their preconceived assumption, right? That the Messiah was going to come as a warrior king and restore the kingdom to Israel. And so we've got it right here. They're asking, is this this what you came to do? Is this what's happening? Listen to what he said to them. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Folks, in the Christian church, we have developed theological thinking around our concepts of the end times, and some of that theological thinking around our concepts of the end times eliminates the current kingdom and says it's all about a future kingdom. Yet Jesus says, what you're talking about, you know nothing about. Let's just sit here silently for a second, twiddle our thumbs, think about all the books we read, and then go back to this verse where Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set By his own authority. There was a book written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Going to Return in 1988. If anybody buys that book now, but people were convinced. He says, but, see, this is a big but. This is a big but, folks. So you're not gonna know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking Intently, I, I want you to picture this, okay? So Jesus is with them. He's now ascending into the sky. And it says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Don't, is, like, I find that really funny. Right? Like, like, He's going up, in, and they're like, right? And then these two guys appear, and they're like, what? what are you guys looking at? Why are you looking into the sky? Now listen, this is what he says. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So I want you to catch that he gave them instructions about what life here on earth is supposed to be for those who follow him. And then he ascended and he promises to return. What I want to focus on and what we are focusing on in this series is the Christian life. What life here on earth looks like. So they're staring up into the sky... These two people appear, two angels appear and say, why are you looking up? And here we wait, waiting for his return. But notice, there's still a whole bunch of story left. (laughs) I, I can't stress enough, a lot of people end there and they're still waiting doesn't end with people waiting and hoping for a future kingdom. If it did, what would be the point of the church? Together, as friends, like if, if, if Jesus didn't give us any instructions, if he didn't give us the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, if he didn't call the church into existence, what the church would be is a place for friends to gather who judge people's ethics and wait for God to come again. And that sounds really crappy to me. Instead, Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God, and what was about and he was about to give them a taste of it. He commissioned them to become the very kingdom that he taught them about. So let's move forward with the story. The disciples listened to what Jesus taught, and they waited in Jerusalem. Let's jump over to verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Elpheus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer, folks, and they included the women Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now remember, Jesus taught them, it says earlier in this passage, about a kingdom that they were going to experience, that they were going to become part of, but they needed to wait for a promise that had been given to them. A promise of a spirit, the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them... All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed... They asked, aren't those uh, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? Then three dudes, who I don't know their names, and a whole bunch more guys, (laughs) were all amazed. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now, some of us in this room have different theories that surround this passage of Scripture. Some of us might be amazed by the story. Some might find it strange and uncomfortable. But the reality is, the biblical story, this moment, the day of Pentecost is the beginning of a Spirit-empowered community. A community that we now call the church. The kingdom of Jesus taught about this manifestation in the book of Acts. He taught about this kingdom being manifested through the Spirit-empowered people. Then, people gathering, empowered by the Spirit for good works. In other words, everything that I've taught you up to this point in this entire series is absolutely useless until this moment in the story. Everything I've taught you—love, joy, peace, patience, like all these things about you know loving God and loving others and peace and 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 uh, what were some of the other justice—all of these things that I've taught you actually without this story are completely useless a life of love justice peace and wisdom is only powerful and life changing if it's empowered by the spirit if love justice peace and wisdom are simply your intention it's nothing but western liberalism or socialism the kingdom of god has nothing to do with socialism Let me qualify that. Socialism is done by human power. Human will. When anything is done by human power or human will, it is corrupt and self-centered. Usually, doing good in a human way is corrupted by expectations. Let me explain that. If we give someone love, we expect love in return. That's corrupt. That's a human expectation. But if a life of love, justice, peace and wisdom empowered by the Holy Spirit, now life looks completely different than the way many of us think. After this amazing moment in Acts where everyone is given the Spirit, we see in the narrative the shaping of his kingdom through the church. Scott McKnight, a person I've been quoting quite a bit in this series, he's a theologian at Northern Seminary in Chicago, he says this, God's kingdom happens when human beings are empowered by God's Spirit to do God's kingdom work in the shape of a new community. He says, when Pentecost happens, the Spirit of God transforms human abilities and transcends human inabilities so transformed people can participate in God's kingdom community here and now. Jesus' followers become the church community that acts like the kingdom community because the Spirit is present the spirit folks brings love justice and peace in fact it takes the spirit to create community at all because without the spirit no matter how hard we try we are naturally unloving unjust and unpeaceful i'm not sure if that's a word The narrative in Acts shows us a picture of what the community of God, God's kingdom community, looks like. It shows us what church should look like. We have this right before our eyes, right in the book that we love to quote. So, the Bible says they devoted themselves. So this is after Pentecost. What happened? The spirit-empowered community, verse 42, chapter 2, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what was the result of all of this? The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is an amazing example of what the power of the Spirit does. When Pentecost happens... Community emerges because the Spirit is designed, folks, to draw us to God, to one another, and into fellowship and community. When was the last time someone in the church today decided to sell some property so others in their community could have their needs met? But the Bible says, folks... That's right, this kind of community that they're talking about in the book of Acts, it rarely happens today. And that should give us some answers to why the church is so ineffective in our world. We lack the power of the Spirit, even when we claim to have it. Scott McKnight says this. (laughs) You're going to love this quote. A church that lacks the power of the Holy Spirit is more like a shopping mall. People park their nice cars, enter the building, get what they want, get back into their cars, and go out to eat. But a community, folks, shaped and empowered by the Holy Spirit embodies the kingdom of God Here on earth, look at their reaction after they received the Spirit. To summarize verses 42 to 47, they formed a kingdom community that can best be described with these words individual words friendship, teaching the faith, common meals, spirituality. So that means spiritual practices. The evangelical church has eliminated all of those. Worship, holistic care for one another, integrity, and growth. Each of these things describe the kingdom community that Jesus taught about in the gospel, but it took the promised Holy Spirit to move people into this kind of community. Jesus, his kingdom dream was this promised Holy Spirit. The church is called to be God's kingdom here on earth. There's nothing, and I want you to hear this, there is nothing individual about this. There's no personal piety or accepting Jesus into your personal heart so that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. All of that's true, but it's not the holistic gospel. It's not about individualism. That is our Western culture. The book of Acts shows the constant movement of communities living their lives with Jesus as their king. There's no evidence in Scripture that this spirit-empowered call to community ends in the book of Acts. We're called to receive the Spirit And to respond to the Spirit in obedience. The Spirit pushes us toward Jesus. The Spirit moves us toward repentance. And by grace calls us to be transformed. A church absent of the Spirit is a church absent from the kingdom. It's a shopping mall. A social club where people are called to behave and live under certain rules. And it's not attractive. It doesn't draw people because it lacks the transforming power of the Spirit of God. Our motivation, folks, must be grace, not rules. Our motivation must be pressing into life by the Spirit, not board games. Nothing against activity groups. Kingdom community oozes the fear of the Lord and is in constant awe of how God is working in our lives. This is the kingdom we seek. This is the community we are called to be. A community motivated by the Spirit to love God, love others, offer hope and peace, and grow in wisdom within our community. This means that we are willing Hear me, this means that we are willing to be corrected in love. We are willing to be taught by those God has put into place as teachers. We are willing to use our gifts for God's kingdom, and we're willing to grow in humility. So let me finish your definition of what a Christian is. A Christian is one who follows Jesus by devoting his or her life to the kingdom vision of God, to a life of loving God and loving others, and to a society shaped by justice, especially for those who have been marginalized, to peace, and to a life devoted to growing in wisdom in the context of the local church. This life can only be discovered by being empowered by God's Spirit. In other words, we should almost start with that definition upside down. You need to be empowered by God's Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. And what following Jesus looks like is living a life of loving God and loving others, shaping our society by justice especially for those who've been marginalized, the Spirit helps us notice to peace and a life of growing in wisdom in the context of the local church. So how do we live this kingdom life that Jesus calls us to? How do we follow him? We give up our lives, our control, and we submit ourselves to the working of the Spirit of God. I'm going to quote some scripture for you. Just the, I'm not going to quote the actual verses. I'm summarizing the verses. You write these verses down or take a picture of the screen and read them later. How do we do this? We give up our in, in, independence and we embrace community. The exact opposite of what we've been taught to do our entire lives. Our entire lives we've been taught become independent. Get a job. Get out on your own. Be successful on your own. You need to be able to do all these different things on your own. And then we'll just kind of fit community into that. And if you're an introvert, you just won't. (laughs) We give up our independence and we embrace community. We serve one another, Romans 12.10. Submit to one another, Galatians 5.13. Forgive one another, Colossians 3.13 encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. That means like our little trips to the coffee shop to complain is not Christian community. We love one another, Ephesians 4.2. And I really want to emphasize that Ephesians says that we learn to bear with one another in love. And listen to this. We confess our sins to one another. Right away, people are like, I'm not doing that one. Because in the Christian church, I'm supposed to be without spot or wrinkle, and so I don't want people to see my wrinkles. We'll buy cream to cover up our wrinkles. But Scripture calls us to expose our wrinkles, to embrace them and to confess them to one another. The worship team can join me. The Spirit-empowered life embodies God's kingdom. And shows the world that God's kingdom is different than the world. So let me ask you this Is the Spirit leading your life, or are you? Are you embracing community even when it's not perfect? Are you willing to take risks by caring in radical ways for others? Does your life show the fruits of the Spirit? Folks, press into these questions and ask God to work in you, to call you to repentance for our individualism attitude, our individualistic attitude. If you surrender, His Spirit will transform the way you think into a kingdom way of thinking. The church today Claims to have the Spirit, but shows no evidence of it at all. And until people start to see the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, until we start to shape and form a community that is led by the Spirit, we will continue to be nothing but a social club or a shopping mall. Following Jesus is not about individualism and personal piety and, and you praying longer than someone else prays. Following Jesus is about surrendering your whole self to the King and letting the King shape your life. Are we ready to do that? Is Evergreen Heights ready to give up how it's shaped its church? And to give its church to Jesus? Are we ready to allow Jesus to be the one who's making the decisions? Jesus to guide our mouths and our tongues? Center your life in the Holy Spirit, repent, and believe. That's what following Jesus, the scriptures say, looks like. We stand.